Hey Church of the Beloved, thanks for tuning in to our weekly sermon podcast. My name is Kevin Zoe and I'm the production manager here at COTV. Today's message is brought to us by Pastor Abe Lee. He is preaching from 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. As Pastor Clint said, we're diving back into our sermon series on the epistles of John picking up from where we left off in 1 John chapter 2. So today what I want to do is I want to spend the next 25-ish minutes. We're going to unpack the verses that Yuji just read for us today. But I'm going to start with just sharing with you what the main point of today's message is going to be right up front. The point is this. Love defines who you are. So please, choose wisely. And at the end of the year, uh, one of the community groups, they created a Pastor Clint bingo card, okay? On it are these common phrases that Pastor Clint always uses in every single one of his sermons and even in his announcements today. Basically, you can make it into a drinking game. By drinking game, I mean drinking coffee because that's what we do here at Church of the Blog. Uh, the card on it has things like, you know, Clint saying the word, referencing meat, giving hot takes on his food preferences, like who doesn't like sushi? Pastor Clint, uh, talking about Georgia football, which he did absolutely, and explaining always, Florida, bad. Okay? So I will say this. I don't know where Pastor Clint is. He's somewhere here. But basically, Pastor Clint, we all know who you are because we know what you love. And John basically wants us to understand, not about Pastor Clint, but he wants us to understand the same thing. See, if you love the things in the world, if you love the things of the world, it's going to be very evident and very obvious in your day-to-day, in everything that you do and everything you say. In the same way, if you love the things of God, it's going to be very obvious in your day-to-day, in the things that you do and the things that you say. So the, today's main point, and sometimes pastors like to call it the big idea, today's passage, the main point is, is a singularly simple one. What or who you love defines who you are. So please, choose wisely. And what we want to do today is looking at this passage and understand what John is presenting as his recommendation to every single one of us, which is to love God over the world. And to understand what it means to choose to love God over the world, we need to understand and consider how John defines the world and what that means. And specifically in today's passage, and even more specifically, in verse 16 of today's passage. Now, I had Yuji read from the Christian Standard Bible. Uh, verse 16, there it explains that for everything in the world, speaking of the world, what the world consists of is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride in one's possessions. Now, I think it's pretty important for you to be able to, as you're looking at passages, sometimes look at other translations, just to get the fuller context and the intent of the original verse. Um, the ESV, it translates the same passage as it says the desires instead of lust of the flesh, the desires of the eye, and the pride of life instead of possessions. NIV is very similar. It says lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. But there's another translation, it's passion. I like this one. It goes further into interpreting what those three things really are. It translates this verse, this passage, to say that loving the world is seeking the gratification of our flesh. The allurement of the thing with status importance. See, this threefold formula of what constitutes loving the world, it's, it's a pretty important thing that I want to focus on today. Because we should understand that the, the things in the world, you know, everything on planet Earth, they're all things created by God. 
And as the saying goes, God doesn't create junk. So from the food we eat to the work we do to the entertainment we enjoy, these are not innately evil things. We don't have to fully renounce these things to show that we love God. It's, it's when the created things become the priority over the creator that they become a problem. Right? It, it, this threefold formula shows that when creation supersedes the creator as a thing that we love, that's when it becomes an issue. And John's explaining that the world becomes a thing we love when we let pleasure or lust of the flesh, when we let beauty or lust of the eyes, or when we let status, pride of our possession. The world becomes the thing we love over God when these become the priority over everything else. Now, Suzanne and I, uh, my wife, we, we've been doing this Bible in a year reading plan. Uh, we've been doing it with our goddaughter who lives in San Francisco. It uh, was created by the Bible Project. And the plan, the name of this plan is called One Story That Leads to Jesus. And I, I love that name, and, and I love this program because it basically allows us to provide, it provides context so that we can see the entirety of the gospel as a collection of stories that all have one central theme. It is that our redemption and that our return to the Father in heaven is made possible only because of and through the Son of God, through Jesus the Messiah, right? And, and, and as we consider, and as you consider that this is truth of what the Bible is intended to be, you start to see patterns throughout the entirety of Scripture of, that everything is pointing to our Redeemer, to Jesus. And the threefold formula that we just read from John, you can also see this pattern throughout scripture as well. You see it in Genesis with the story of the Garden of Eden. You also see it in Luke with the story of Jesus being tempted in the desert. So what I'm going to do right now is I want to read to you um, from those two passages. And we're going to start with Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 to 7. And this is what it says in Genesis. Now, the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman... Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or you'll die. No, you'll certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, in fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together. They made governance for themselves. We're going to get deeper into that in a second, but let me turn to Luke and just read to you. Luke chapter 4, verse 1 to 12. And this is what it says there. It says, Then Jesus left the Jordan, this is after he got baptized, full of the Holy Spirit, and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And when they were over, he, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, it's written, 
man must, must not live on bread alone. So he took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you their splendor and all this authority because it's been given over to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you then will worship me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered him, it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So he took him to Jerusalem, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and, and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, he'll give angels orders concerning you to protect you and they'll support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it said, do not test the Lord your God. I want you to keep these passages in mind. We're going to come back to them in deeper detail. But I want to dive into them because the three things that we've mentioned right now from John as well, pleasure or lust of the flesh, uh, beauty, lust of the eyes, uh, status, pride of possessions or life. We're going to see how these three things exist as warnings throughout the Bible from Genesis to Luke and in 1 John. And hopefully how they apply to us today as well. And we're going to start with the lust or the desire, first one. <clears throat> now, I'll tell you, coming, uh, initially, it may seem pretty straightforward, especially if you've grown up in a pretty, uh, a church background, a Puritan context. More than likely, you will have assumed that this is referring to like having sex before marriage or having sex before you enter into a covenant relationship with another person. Or maybe it's being about being sucked into pornography or something like that. That's what it sounds like, at least. But as you consider the examples that were given in these other passages, you realize that the problem is this. When we seek pleasure, pleasure of any sort, and allow it to become our priority, that's the problem. See, in Genesis, Eve saw that the tree was good for food. In the desert, the very first temptation was an offer to quell bodily desire in Christ, which is hunger. See, the lust of the flesh, it is not limited to just sexual desire, sexual things. The lust of the flesh is to prioritize pleasure over God. And I'll explain. I'm a pretty basic guy, right? Especially when it comes to food. Basically, if you give me a bag of chips and some sort of meat product, I'm very content. I will be happy as whatever. This proves to be a bit challenging uh, living, uh, for me at least, not so much for Suzette, uh, when we lived in San Francisco, and very challenging in Wicker Park, because here's the thing, there seem to be a lot of people who like vegetables, like with their meal, or even only vegetables. I just, personally, part of the problem is this, there's a huge foodie culture in both San Francisco and Wicker Park. It's, the amount of time and energy people have spent trying to find that perfect steak, that perfect pie, that, that perfect Asian fusion taco, whatever, to the point of where this desire to seek bodily pleasure has supplanted all other things, all other activities. I'm not throwing shade on our foodie peer. We have many. But the thing is this. If that is the priority over God, the lust of the flesh has taken priority over God. See, when the lust of the flesh, when, when we prioritize seeking bodily pleasure over godly obedience, this is an indication that you love the world over God. When it's more important for you to satisfy a craving, whether it's a sexual one, a gastronomical one, or even a financial one, when that is the priority for you over God, 
That shows what you love. And what you love defines who you are. Christ does have an answer for how we should deal with that type of situation in Luke chapter 4, verse 4. When he was tempted in the same way, he says, it's written, man must not live on bread alone. He's not saying that you can't have bread. It's that you can't live only by bread. It's that you can't live only to satiate the lust of the flesh. Let's look at that second sign. The second sign here is the lust of the eyes. Okay? And I'll be honest with you, I think this is probably one of the ones I have a harder time with personally. right? Because I understand lust of the eyes. This is uh, the desire to have beautiful things at all costs. Right? Eve, for example, she saw the fruit, and she thought it was beautiful. So she ate it. And she gave it to Adam to eat as well. There, uh, King David, you know, there's an example. He, he saw Bathsheba, the wife of another man. He saw her taking a bath and thought, oh, she's beautiful. I need to have her. And so he took her and he raped her. In the book of Joshua, there's a story of a dude named Achan. Achan saw a beautiful cloak and a bunch of other things, and he knew that he wasn't supposed to take it, but he wanted it. So he took it, caused Israel to lose a battle. Satan tries to tempt Jesus in the very same way by showing him the grandeur, the beauty, the splendor of all the worldly kingdoms and saying, it could all be yours. Just simply bow your knee to me. See, allowing the lust of the eyes to drive you is basically letting the beautiful things become the priority over the one who created them in the first place, over the most beautiful one. I was watching a comedian once, and uh, uh, she was a joke. It's not a universal truth that I'm about to share. I'm just using it as an example, so please don't flame me because I'm using this example. But she told this joke. Uh, she was using, uh, t- talking about how her guy friends and her girlfriends are very different in how they uh, look at significant others. All right? Her guy friends uh, will look at his buddy's partner and think, oh, wow, she's awesome. I want to find someone just like her. While her girlfriends will oftentimes get their friends, girlfriends, partners, and think, wow, he's awesome. I want him. Let me explain. This is not my joke. It's her joke. And I want to say that in a nutshell, I think it kind of illustrates what it means to let beautiful things take priority. See, when the lust of the eyes, when, the, when seeking the beautiful things around you becomes so much more important than showing the love of Christ to those around you, to your fellow image bearers of God, this is an indication that you love the world over God. When it's more important for you to have the beautiful things that others have, when that becomes a priority for you over God, that shows what you love. And what you love defines who you are. Um, Let me give a different example. Uh, I've had the joy and the privilege of visiting a lot of folks since I've started serving as pastor here at Church of the Love. Uh, you know, some beautiful homes. Peter and Stacy, Stephanie and Jay, uh, Hannah, Jeremy, Clint, even you and, not even, sorry, Clint and Haley's. Beautiful homes. And I'll be very honest with every single one of you. There's more that I've seen as well. Uh, in a, Paul, you have, all of you all have amazing kitchens. I love your kitchens. I don't do anything in the kitchen except stand there and eat food, but I love your kitchens. You have this open concept, uh, beautiful faucets and sinks, and everyone seems to have a beer fridge. I don't drink beer. I just fill mine with wine, but it's awesome. It's, they're aesthetically beautiful, and there's a part of me that thinks, oh, I, I want that. It's not a bad thing to, to say that, 
But when my mindset becomes, oh, I want that so much that I'm going to spend all my energy, all my effort, all my work to getting it, that's when I allow the lust of my eyes, a love for beauty over the most beautiful, that's when I let it define who I am. And if you turn to Luke again, you see how Christ intends for us to respond when the lust of the eyes, when the desire for beautiful things starts to push us further and further away from the creator of all these beautiful things. In Luke chapter 4, verse 8, it says, it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. See, it's not a call to stop working. It's not a call to just give up like that. It's a call to do all things for God. See, when, you, when you're looking for your next job, Will you consider, how might you worship God through that? When you're looking for our medical students, for your next residency, how do you worship God through your decision? When you're looking for your next apartment, how do you worship God through that? Because that's what we're called to do. Worship God in everything. We're going to look at the third side. Pride in one's possessions, or pride of life, or as... The Passion Translation reads, obsession with status and importance. In other words, taking status over God, it demonstrates a love for the world over God. Eve wanted to be as wise as God. She saw that the fruit was desirable for obtaining wisdom. Satan tried to mess with this by asking him to prove his status, to look at it. If you're really the son of God, the angels are supposed to protect you, so just jump. And prove it. But I think there are two sides to this stat coin that I want to focus on. On the first side, on one side of it, you know, to prioritize status, pride of life, is to elevate our status, elevate our worth by focusing on ourselves instead of God, by focusing on what I have done, my achievements, believing that I am better because of who I am and what I have done. See, if my focus is on my achievements, on my status, on my pride of life, what this looks like is an overemphasis on the things that I do, the things that I achieve, the things I have done because of my sheer force of will, because of my effort. To be able to say, I did this, and end up judging, judging others as less valuable. You know, can't she be as organized as I am? Why can't, why can't he get up as early as I do in the morning to study the Bible? Why, why can't they just load the dishwasher the right way the first time so that all the dishes get clean when you turn it on? There's a story about uh, in Daniel, in chapter 4. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to call him Nebi, because Nebuchadnezzar is just a mouthful. So we got Nebi. He's walking along the walls of his palace, and he's, he's proclaiming, I am the king of Babylon, and Babylon is amazing because I am amazing. And at which point, God looks at him and says, no, because your status, Nebi, means nothing in the light of mine. I am God. I am God of the universe. See, pride of life is a focus on status above everything else. Eve wanted to raise her status by being as wise as God. Nebi wanted to raise his status. He thought he was God. Satan wanted Jesus to focus on his status as the son of God instead of obeying God, the plan that God had laid out. See, pride of life, pride of possession, status, that's elevating yourself above how God sees you. Pride of life ultimately is 
forgetting what Paul actually wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. It says this, For who makes you so superior? What do you have that you didn't receive? If, in fact, you did receive it, why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? That's one side. The other side, the flip side of the coin is, is this. I, I think that focusing on achievement, focusing on status, unfortunately, it's resulted in some people seeing themselves as not as beloved image bearers of God, but as worthless, possibly loved, that no one could possibly want to be with. Now, I'll tell you, social media from Facebook to Instagram, I think it had really good intentions when it first came out. At least, you know, it, it, there, was, there was a desire there to, to provide a means to stay connected to the people, to, to share stories with each other. That was, that was what it was. Unfortunately, for a lot of people, it's become something different. It's become a place where we can show how amazing I am, how beautiful everything is around me, how everything is going great. It's all stories about babies and weddings. There was, a, there was a movement for a while, the whole I woke up like this thing, where you would find how people wake up early, themselves look great, and then take a picture saying, yeah, hey, I woke up like this, because no one really wants to see how they really look when they wake up. There were a number of studies that have been done over the past few years uh, that show a correlation, not necessarily causation, but a correlation between an increased use of social media and an increased result, an increase in depression, suicidal ideation, and social isolation. You know, the mission of Church of the Beloved, it is to see the gospel transform people into spirit-filled disciples who know that they are the beloved of God because of Christ alone. And if you consider our history, um, looking back at how we came to be, there's always been this desire to create where the beloved of God, uh, create a space where they might be reminded that we are loved. We are loved by the creator of the universe. Our, our status is not based on our achievements. Our status is not based on any accolades or abilities. We are loved, period. We are loved so much that the Son of God came to die so that we wouldn't have to. We are loved so much that the Son of God spilled his blood through nail-pierced hands and feet so that we wouldn't have to. We are the beloved of God. See, when the pride of life, when, when status and achievement is what you cling to instead of God, when that becomes more important to you than your status in the that shows what you love. And what you love defines who you are. If you go back to Luke, Jesus stood up against this incorrect view of status by not focusing on his status, on his current situation. See, Satan was trying to get Jesus to, to ignore the plan that God had laid out, the path that God had given him. Basically telling Jesus, hey, you know, if you just use a massive miracle, you're going to get a whole bunch of people to follow you. So just, you know, tell them who you really are. Show your status. But Jesus understood something that Satan didn't. That there is so much more to God's plan. That there is, there is a need for recompense, a need for atonement that's required for the sins of of the beloved of God. He understood that rescue by the divine one had to come. See, Jesus never said Satan was wrong there. Right? He is the son of God. The angels would protect him. But what Jesus did is he reframed the situation. He pointed out that there's a greater truth and that there's a perfect plan 
God had laid out for him. Jesus wasn't going to question that. He wasn't going to be distracted from that. It wasn't about Jesus' status at all in the eyes of Satan or of the world. In the same way, it is about Jesus' and our status in the eyes of God. You see, Jesus had to, Jesus wanted to obey God because <coughs> he wanted to show his love for God. Because it is that love for God that defines who Jesus is. And it is that same love for God that I hope might define us. Today we get to participate in communion, which is, for those of you who don't know, it's a sacred ritual that reminds us of this ultimate sacrifice, Jesus, who is the Son of God. This ultimate sacrifice he made so that we might be able to proclaim that we are the beloved of God. So that we might Shabbat or dwell with God. So I want to wrap up right now and so that we can do that together. Today's point, as I said earlier, what you love defines who you are, so please choose wisely. Right? And the wisest choice John's explained to us is that you can is make is to love God over the world. Love God more than your status. Love God more than the beautiful things that might distract you away from God. Love God more than the pleasurable things that might pull you away from the Almighty One who created all those things anyways. And if you are willing to make the wise choice of loving God over the world, then here is your to-do, your challenge, is to meditate and ponder on verse 17. Verse 17 says this, and the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. See, Everything we've talked about, it's going away. It's all temporary. But the one who does the will of God, they're the one who's going to last forever. While Jesus was with us on this planet, he focused on exactly that, the will of his Father. See, Satan tried to tempt him, right? He even used, Satan even tried to use temptation that looked like it might be God's will. You know, the Bible says that God's going to protect his son, so just jump. If your desire is to love God, so that who you are is defined by that love, then you have a to-do. Your to-do, my to-do, together for the rest of our lives is to discern what that looks like. To see, to love God is to obey the will of God, right? And to obey the will of God, we have to come to know who God is. And to come to know who God is, we have to draw near to God. Today's the start of a brand new year. It's the day that a lot of resolutions get made. So here's one. Starting today, starting right now, will you commit to drawing near to God by committing to know God better? It's not going to be an instantaneous thing. Drawing near to God, knowing God, is a process. It's going to take time. It's going to take months, years, decades. I'm still doing it every day. But it starts right now. You, here's, you, know, for example, you can get the, you know, the catechism app or the YouVersion Bible app, whatever. Start a Bible reading plan right now, but don't do it alone. Do it with somebody, significant other, a friend. Schedule time to regularly meet with a group of people just to pray once a month. Join a community group. Commit to serving the widows and the orphans and the vulnerable, whether it's in Chicago or Zambia or the Philippines. Because what you love defines who you are. And who God wants you to be is a beloved child of his. And we become a beloved child of his by knowing who he is. So the question to you today, as we close, is will you choose to love him?
Thanks for tuning in to this week's COTV Sermon Podcast. For more info or to connect with us, you can visit us online at cotv.life. God bless and have a great week.